Hey kids, Mandy here, and I wanted to personally invite you to join me for Cincinnati Song Initiative's first ever Fellowship of the Song, happening May 20th through 25th. In addition to a week full of amazing concerts, song workshops, and classes, I'll be leading some seriously fun study events on heartwarming topics such as murder ballads and exploring death through music and poetry. Should be a great time! (laughs) You can participate as an auditor, whether you come to Cincinnati in person or join remotely from your comfiest couch. And the best part is that all the week's events will be recorded for unlimited viewing through June 26th. So, what are you waiting for? Head to cincinnatisonginitiative.org forward slash audit to learn more about this groundbreaking new program for song. And I hope to see you in person or online. Check, check, one, two. Checking my microphone on a Monday afternoon. Ooh, that is very hot. Hot, 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 hot. All right. I think I'm ready. Bis do ready to go? Silence. I said, bis do ready to go. I'm listening to sound effects, like really loud. Well, listen to this sound effect. <laughs> crunching that loudly the whole time. Do you think it's going to take me an hour to eat 15 Cheerios? I don't know, but if it does, I don't want to be here. I'm going to eat 15 Cheerios in 15 seconds. <laughs> no, we don't do eating sounds on this podcast. So what do I do with the Cheerios <laughs> in my mouth? Kids, and welcome to Follow the Leader with me, your host, Mandy Madrid Sikich. If you are a fan of the podcast, remember to rate, review, and subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Sounder, Stitcher, Spotify, all the usual places. And please, if you like what we are doing on the podcast, tell your friends. And if you don't, then tell your enemies and make them suffer through it. <laughs> Don't forget that we are hosting a giveaway where one lucky listener will win a copy of Ian Bostridge's book, Schubert's Winter Journey. All you have to do is write a review for the podcast, send a screenshot of your review to our email, followtheleaderpodcast at gmail.com, and that's it. Also, that's leader spelled L-I-E-D-E-R, of course, as in German leader. That's what this podcast is about. I feel like we should abbreviate that. F-T-L-P. Well, it's too late. F-T-L-P at gmail.com. I already claimed the email. I mean, you can claim Don't you think there's something else in the world that's F-T-L-P? Probably. Co-hosting, as you've heard, co-hosting today's episode is the one and only Brian Sickich we've all come to know and love, question mark? Woo, what an intro. <laughs> happy, to, happy to be back, folks. You gave yourself your own woos. I did. You're professional now. Insert applause and cheering uh, for, with the new sound effects pack that I just bought. Oh, yeah. oh, you did just buy. I did just buy. Oh, yeah. cool. Well, today we are discussing two songs from Schubert's Winterreise. Song number six, Wasserflut, and song number seven, Auf dem Flusser. 
which is interesting because Wasserflut is actually my least favorite song of the cycle, while Auf dem Klusa is a top three song for sure. It's actually my favorite song to perform. Okay, so there's there's different categories here, okay? So, so like in the poetry category, Lindenbaum and Die Nebensonnen are my favorite, favorite poems. But then from like a music category, Das Wirtshaus is my favorite. That's song number 21. 21? Yes, I think so. But then from a performance standpoint, this one is definitely my favorite to perform. Well, often flute, not Vaso flute. I bet you didn't know there were all those categories, did you? I did not. <laughs> no. But, but if anyone were to educate me about it, it would be you. <laughs> yeah. Consider yourself educated. So, Brian, do you remember uh, where we left off in our last song? Uh, yeah, he was hanging out underneath that gumdrop-shaped tree. <laughs> Yeah. Right? Well, he wasn't actually hanging out oh, under he, it, remember? Was he passing by? Yeah, he was passing by. And it's um, the linden tree. You're right. It right. was gumdrop shaped. Mm-hmm. But there were also connotations of uh, the come rest under my tree wasn't just like, uh, hey, you look sleepy or tired. It was like, hey, let's let's call it right now. Let's call it quits. Exactly. Maybe fold the towel. Fold the towel. Turn in the, no. Throw in throw the, the towel. Throw in the towel. <laughs> <laughs> it's time to end your life and fold the towel. Oh. Oh my gosh, I'm going to use that from now on. That's pretty good. So yeah, you're exactly right. Our traveler passed by a linden tree, which we learned is important in lover lore because linden trees are a renowned meeting place for lovers. So he passes by the linden tree and it calls out to him to come find his rest. And by rest, we mean that we think the tree is calling for him to end it all. But the traveler hurriedly moves on, not even turning back for his hat when it blows from his head, perhaps a bit frightened at the prospect that the tree's temptation might be too strong to resist. The song ends with him admitting that even though he is many hours distance from that place, he can still hear it calling. Fold the towel. It's pretty good, huh? my gosh <clears throat> yes it might indeed be calling for him to fold in the towel <laughs> okay so that's where he is when our next song vaso flute picks up so as we always do let's start with the translation Flood. Many tears from my eyes have fallen into the snow. Its cold flakes suck thirstily in the hot grief. When the grass wants to shoot forth, blows hither a gentle wind, and the ice breaks into pieces and the soft snow will melt. Snow, you know of my longing. Say, whither goes your course? Follow after only my tears. The brook will soon take you up. You will pass through the town, in and out of lively streets. And when you feel my tears burning, there is my sweetheart's house. So, our guy is back. The tears are back. (laughs) Exactly. The, The... 
the heat, the piercing, the that like the, there's a lot of temperature stuff in there. Yes, right. So he's back to pondering the polarity of his hot grief mm-hmm. and the icy snow. Right. They make something. It's called icy hot. It's like specifically <laughs> yeah. for him. Right, right. So he's dealing with a serious case of icy hot. And look, I think that that is, well, might I use the word boring? But. I, th- I think I am going to use the word boring. I think what's boring about this piece is that we learn nothing new. Mm. Oh, well, I guess I already told you this. It's not It's not my most favorite. Right. The plot makes no advancement. And look, I don't mind exploring more of this polarity, but I feel like I'd like to encounter it in a new context, perhaps. You know, here there's no mention of his traveling, of his forward wanderings. I'm not seeing anything new. It's like he's stuck in place, and he's already been kind of stuck in place before. Um, But also, remember how in our last song, Der Lindenbaum, he makes a conscious effort not to stop, right? His hat blew off his head, and yet he decided not to turn around to even try to look for it. He just kept trucking forward. And so I think that perhaps when we see him in this song, He's gotten far enough past the tree that he's no longer worried about the tree's temptation. So he feels the freedom to stay still for a bit and ruminate. Clearly, he still has a case of emotion. (laughs) He feels the need to process it out loud, I guess, and address the snow again, because why not? Do you feel like there was, and I'm sure we may get into it, is there any information that you know of where she was like i'm just gonna like like he knew what he had already written about and what he had well you know the situation it's not necessarily schubert's fault it's muller's fault because muller wrote the poetry right and so schubert wasn't just gonna skip it over right like did right. he did he sort of have to do it? Yeah, so he didn't skip any poems in this cycle. Mm. So remember we discussed a little about a little bit about how he found like twelve poems first mm-hmm. and then he discovered the second half later. But I'm wondering if then the music for this particular one is less inspired because he just kinda knew he's like, I, I just kinda gotta do it. So maybe it's well, not as like potent. I don't know if I would say that the music is less inspired. Well, look, we'll get into it. Great question. We'll get into it. Might as well talk about the music now. Tell me about the music. (laughs) Since you brought it up. Musically speaking, there is not much on the page. What is there is worth discussing, though there's not a ton for the pianist to do, which is maybe partially why I don't love it. Although the last song of the cycle, song number 24, Der Leiermann, that also doesn't have a lot for the pianist to do, but I really love that one. So I don't know. I probably shouldn't be complaining about this song as much as I am. Like, I still think Muller was a genius and Schubert was a genius, but I don't know. I just don't always love listening or playing. I wonder if you're going to get some, some like, nasty reviews. Like, how dare you? In order for that to happen, people would actually have to listen. Oh, and like you say in your <laughs> intro, any publicity is welcome publicity. Yeah. Scathing yeah, review. Yeah, true. We'll take it. <clears throat> Remember how we talked about triplets transforming? from song number four, Erstarung, to Der Lindenbaum. They were transformed from like the frantic searching in Erstarung to the shimmering of the leaves, right? Mm -hmm, Perhaps mm -hmm. in the linden tree. Well, here they are again, transformed back into eighth note triplets. And 
Actually, I think they sound very similar to the piano accompaniment in the last verse of Der Lindenbaum. So here's the last verse of Der Lindenbaum. Here's Wasserflut. Right, so the through line is very clearly observed here. And I think it's actually one of the strongest links between songs in this cycle. Just very obvious that we're supposed to make that connection. Now, here is what I consider to be the most interesting aspect of this song. On paper, it looks like what it's talking about. The melody of the vocal line weaves in and out and up and down the staff, just like the weaving of the brook that it talks about. Obviously, since this is a podcast, I can't really show our listeners, but Brian, I can show you the score and you can describe it. Oh, you're assuming that my high school <laughs> piano abilities and reading music. Oh yeah, no, it's totally a river. Right? Yeah. Well, can you describe like what that vocal line is doing? Uh, it's sort of, it's sort of like weaving up and down, but then it kind of will will squiggle around a little bit. Like it's not it's not predictable. Yeah. It meanders on its own little little course, and it'll kind of ebb and flow. And Hold on, did down, someone down, prepare down. you? Like no, is that not good? at all, man. <laughs> this is just pure gold coming out of Genius. my lips. Genius. Yeah, you're exactly right. But look, I feel like I could sit down and play this right now. You probably could, because there's not a lot going on. This oh, song. Good, I really good. think that you probably could play this one. So, uh, look, the visual element of the music is not something we often talk about, and I think it's really cool when we have an added sensory experience to help us in our deciphering of the music. You know, a lot of times we'll talk about text painting, how like what we're talking about the words that we use kind of sound like that so if we're talking about something kind of like fluttering it might be set with a lot of like like f's and p's asmr podcast saying it's 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 what we should be doing here maybe maybe so so like that's that's text painting we're used to that in music um or another equivalent would be like in poetry sometimes a poet will write well, they'll design their poem so that mm -hmm. it looks a specific Visually, way. yeah. Right. And this one not only sounds like what it's talking about, but also visually, like on the paper, looks like what it's talking about. Do you about, think that's like random chance or like no? I think Schubert absolutely intended to do that. Mm. So that weaving in and out and up and down sounds a bit like this. Manche Tränen aus meinen Augen ist gefallen in den Schnee und das Eis zerspringt in Schollen und der weiche Schnee zerrinnt. I'm not going to play the entire melody for you, but I just wanted you to get a little bit of a sense of it. Do you feel like then it would mostly be the musicians that are actually performing it that are getting that visual representation? Like, well, right. like if you're an audience yeah. member, you're mm -hmm. not looking at the music. Truly. Like you maybe have, right, truly. you know, a... Uh, 
like a copy of the translations or something right. like that. Yeah, every now and then I feel like I've run across that in the music where there's something like very visually interesting about the music and it's it's purely there for the the person who is performing it because the people out in the audience like they don't hear. It's like a little uh, what do they call it? Easter egg sort of thing, right? I love Easter eggs. <laughs> Me too. Especially when when Schubert invents them. <laughs> um, also, I wanted to mention here that there is a bit of controversy over the piano accompaniment in this song. So the opening figure is an eighth note triplet in the right hand against a dotted eighth note followed by a sixteenth note in the left hand. Here, I'll let you take a look at it. Look at that. Like the first two measures. Some people play this literally as it is written, like this. while others say that traditionally the left hand would have been interpreted as a triplet type rhythm as well. So essentially the left hand and the right hand would match up like this. Why is this important? Well, I want to read you a little anecdote from Ian Bostrich's book, Schubert's Winter Journey, which you can win if you but write a review for the podcast and send a screenshot of it to our email. <laughs> Even if it's a bad review, it's still entered in the drawing. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, okay, so this is just so great. I'm going to read. Sometime around the beginning of the millennium, I was performing all three Schubert cycles twice through with Julius Drake at the Wigmore Hall. In one of the Winterreises... I noticed that an exceptionally distinguished pianist and great Schubertian to boot was sitting at the end of row H on the right. I had recognized him fairly quickly as I scanned the hall in the moments before the cycle kicked off. Only a little later did I see that he was following the music with his score, always a little off-putting if you're singing something by heart, and that he was sitting next to another younger but also distinguished instrumentalist. As Julius launched into the first bars of Wasserflut, the pianist in the audience, let us call him A, started to look with incredulity at the music. Shaking his head, he turned to his companion, let us call him B, and jabbed a finger at the notes. I don't remember B's reaction, but the coup de grace came when A swung his body right round to communicate his artistic descent, revealing that the person in the row directly behind him was another famous pianist, C, who seemed rather taken aback at the disturbance. What was going on? Why was our harmless performance of this harmless little song causing such a fluster? It's all about what is known as triplet assimilation. Okay, so that just gives you a little idea of how... <laughs> alarming <laughs> sounds like it could have like descended into a bar fight like a brawl <laughs> fisticates yeah but yeah. i just think that that's so funny like being on stage and like witnessing the descent like yeah. among the audience members in your performance <laughs> well i'm sure it was a lively conversation at the pub afterwards probably as well. was yeah. yeah um in an article in an austrian musicological journal Josef dichler says that to not tripletize the dotted rhythms would be polyrhythmic madness Alfred Brendel, that legendary pianist and inimitable interpreter of Beethoven and Schubert, explains how Schubert was old-fashioned in his notation habits and would have meant for that dotted rhythm to be played in the triplet fashion. It was just, just written that way. It was a thing that was known. 
In his autograph and the first printed edition, the final note of the triplet and the final note of the dotted rhythm are perfectly aligned, which probably adds to the argument for them to be played in alignment with each other. I like what the famous song pianist Gerald Moore says. He says that by playing this figure literally, jagged in effect, it makes the wanderer appear tired, almost as if he is dragging behind. In any case, there does seem to be enough differing of opinion that both options are permissible. I've always played them like fairly literally, so that kind of jagged effect, and that's just kind of what speaks to me. Um, but I wouldn't be opposed necessarily to try. It would certainly be easier to play them triplet because then it would actually line up with the vocal part a little bit easier. I think of it almost as like a stutter step. Yeah. Like he is tired. Mm-hmm. You know? Totally. And I think when I very first learned the cycle, I didn't actually even know about that issue with the triplets. And so I just kind of played it as I saw it on the page and then later came into an understanding about that. And I just decided to stick with my kind of jagged interpretation because, yeah, it just speaks to me. Um, Susan Ewens comments that the piano accompaniment in this song creates a heavy funereal atmosphere and I think that sums it up quite nicely and provides a clear idea of how to play against the plaintive lament of the vocal part. feels like a heavy lament, which makes sense if we think about the fact that the traveler has stopped momentarily to dwell in stillness on his loss. And I further like to make the connection that perhaps this is a funeral song because in the next song, Auf dem Flusse, he talks about writing the dates of the first meeting of his love and his parting, almost like the dates on a tombstone. So perhaps this song is his yugugli. <laughs> yugugli. To quote Zoolander. But seriously, I think this is kind of a eulogizing of sorts, right? Before the laying of his love to rest and the subsequent placement of a tombstone. Gotta have a you googly. You must honor. (laughs) Each verse mildly meanders until the final phrase. Here's an example. You remember that descriptive line where it says the cold flakes suck thirstily in the hot grief? (laughs) Yeah, that's wild. (laughs) Well, Graham Johnson hilariously sums it up thusly. He says, the ascent of this phrase and its culmination in a forte piano chord as abrupt as the closing of a Venus flytrap is a vivid tonal equivalent of the act of greedy slurping and swallowing the tears pulled up through the stave into the mouth of the snow. <laughs> Very descriptive. So that sounds like this. That's the sucking in thirstily. And that's the swallowing. So descriptive. So descriptive. (laughs) Now, this brings up an interesting interpretation opportunity. One of the delights we enjoy when a composer decides to repeat text is that we get to explore differing interpretations of the same line in the same performance, or at least that option is available to us. What Schubert does at the end of each verse is repeat the final line as a reaction to the first time it was sung. So the one we just heard erupts like a whale... And then he responds to his own eruption more inwardly to himself. 
That happens in verse 1 and verse 3. But verses 2 and 4 end with a repeat delivered in a burst of anger, like this. It's almost as if he comprehends what he said only after he said it the first time and then responds in anger at his own musings. Now, I think the imagery that speaks to me the most in this one is when he talks about his tears being taken up by the melting snow, right? And as they wander throughout their course in the form of a brook, the melted snow will know where his beloved's house is because that's where his tears will be burn the hottest. I just love that imagery. It's so imaginative and it's, I can just so very clearly see it. And uh, it also happens to be one of the spots that he repeats in anger, thusly. The tears have found the house. Yeah. And they burn. They, they burn. burn. They burn real hot. <laughs> they burn real deeply. Um, you know, one thing I wanted to mention is that those offbeat accents are back. <coughs> Remember when we heard them in Gefrone Tränen? Here they are again. The offbeat accents always remind us that we are not comfortable on this journey. Something is off. We're being poked in the ribs or provocated against our will. And don't forget them because they're going to be back real soon. <laughs> Shall we take a listen to the entire song? Let's do it. Okay, here to sing Vasa Flute for us is the inimitable Dr. Tyler Reese. Sprossen wollen, weht dahin. 
It was fun um, reading along with the music and seeing the visual, the visual melody. I've never done that before. Yeah, like usually I've only just had the translations. Or yeah, the, I usually just give you the translations because, well, when the people listening to the podcast listen, they don't have the music, but they could. They could. They could. I guess yeah, I and, and then also like the the syncopation and some of the, I don't know. It does. It does. I like it not being played literally. Mm, yeah for sure well i'm glad you you agree with me i i do agree with you we i agree with your interpretation we don't agree on many things but uh <laughs> i mean we agree on a lot at least we agree on schubert don't 
lead the people to believe that we have a, a life <laughs> filled with turmoil and you know no it's a very harmonious household is it no it is it is it is <laughs> i just like giving you a also i like how you stopped to think <laughs> i mean yeah yeah i think the only things we have some turmoil over genuinely are like time timing things yeah very much timing <gasps> which is weird because this is also a timing thing but we actually agree to agree we do we do agree to yeah. agree it's yeah. remarkable Look at Shooketh. schubert bringing couples together since since when <laughs> this was like 1828 yeah that should be we should make a t-shirt schubert bringing couples together since 1898 oh my gosh okay so now that Vasa flute is over, look, I know I complained about it a lot, but it, it's pretty good. Right? It's very nice. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, a it's yeah, a good song. Yeah. It's like not a bad song. <laughs> it's it's hard to go wrong. Yeah, truly. Uh, but now that that's done, we get to talk <laughs> about one of the absolute greats. <laughs> I'm so excited. Song number seven. <laughs> The bugle was to herald the arrival of Auf dem Flusse. <laughs> I'm so excited. Okay, this is not a happy song. Yet again, I am smiling. It just kind of happens in this cycle. Let's get in with a translation, shall we? Let's dive in. Auf dem Flusse. On the river. You who so merrily rush, you clear wild flow. How still you have become. You give no parting greeting. With hard, rigid crust have you covered yourself. You lie cold and unmoving in the sand stretched out. In your covering I carve with a sharp stone the name of my beloved. And the hour and the day. The day of our first greeting. The day on which I left. Around name and numbers winds itself a broken ring. My heart, in this brook, do you recognize now your image? Is there not, under its crust, indeed also so aggressive a torrent? Okay, guys. This, this is the good stuff. There's so much water in Schubert. There is. There is so much water. You know, and the particularly tears, the snow, the brook, If you the think river, about it, the... also Müller. So Schubert didn't write these words, right? Correct. Müller wrote these words. But something about this water imagery, I think, really spoke to Schubert. And it's not just this cycle. Müller's other cycle, um, Die Schöne Müllerin, the lovely Miller's daughter, that also has a ton of water in it. And the protagonist drowns himself at the end, hmm. right? So, yeah, there's something very, very specific that I think spoke to Schubert in these. As soon as we hear the introduction, we immediately know we are on the move again. I can hear him tiptoeing around the ice. Oh, he's tiptoeing. <laughs> like, he is petrified of falling through the ice. <laughs> We hear him tiptoeing around the ice, right? But also, this introduction is twofold because it also signifies the stillness of the river, which was previously so merrily moving. 
So while we understand our plot to be once again moving forward, we are also aware that there is something rigid and held back. Lots of tension here because we know something is there, but we are not quite sure what it is, right? With this introduction, literally anything seems like it could happen. It's so sparse that it could take any direction, which I think is so awesome. He addresses the river immediately. Probably because he recognizes that it's different than the last time he encountered it. Last time it was cheerfully greeting him. Now it's kalt und unbeweglich, <laughs> which I just like to say a lot. And it offers him no parting adieu. Are we assuming that now it's a different season? We've gone from like spring or like fall into winter that's why it's frozen typically the way that love stories work especially if it's like a breakup story is that may remember how he referred to the month of may Mm -hmm. like when they when the maid spoke of love and the mother of marriage way back in the beginning Mm. so may usually means like the blossoming of love like the the birth of love the beginning of that whole thing so we would understand that yeah probably during that time waters like merrily rushing birds are singing all this stuff that like accompanies the burgeoning of first blossoming love right but now and uh the imagery that's often used for the end of a relationship is that it's moved into its winter so everything's dead and cold and yes here it's still it's mm. n- it's not moving on the surface i know because he talks about underneath Exactly. The water is still churning. It churns a lot. So when he accuses the river of becoming still, for it does seem as if there's some hint of accusation in this proclamation, Schubert slips down in tonality a half step, symbolizing an altered reality. So like you said previously, it was merrily rushing, right? But now it's still and his love is lost. Now, that kind of like lateral shift in tonality is very strange for this time period of music, for it just mm. to like suddenly be shifted over. It reminds me on, uh, you know, the synthesizers, how there's that little pitch shift <laughs> yeah, on the side. And you yeah. go, yes, you know? totally. And it's just like the whole thing slides a little bit. Yeah, that's kind of what it does here. And I just think it really um, captures that that effect of we were one place and now suddenly like we just took one step and... We're, we didn't even take a, we took a half a step and now suddenly reality has changed. I like what Graham, Graham Johnson. <laughs> Graham. Oh, I love what Graham Johnson says here. The singer is asked to sing very quietly. The passage is marked sehr leise, and we might imagine it is his icy breath blowing through the stave that has affected the change of temperature. Wow. Isn't that good writing? Yeah. Every now and then I'll read something that he wrote like in these Schubert volumes and I'm like, damn, like, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> <'Cause>, <laughs> because you're not Grom. <laughs> because I'm not Grom, Johnson. When he's good, he's good. Our traveler almost shivers as he notes that the river doesn't even move to say goodbye to him. Gibst keinen Scheidegruß. <laughs> is that technically very hard to do with your voice? Or is that like, eh? I don't think so. 
And for me, it is. Because you do hear the shiver. <laughs> okay, that was nice. Yeah. Actually, that wasn't too bad. You're communicating probably, shivering. No, probably because I am actually shivering from the poison oak that is literally covering my back. I was going to say, do we need to close a window? Are you shivering? No, no. It's like from this like blistering, <laughs> oozing mass that's on my back. I don't think the people need to know about that. more than the people did need to know, but uh, there it is. <laughs> if you're wondering about how I achieve such stellar vocal technique, that is how. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, that, nice. that one wasn't as good, though. <laughs> First one was superior. Okay. Using language that harkens back to both Erstarung and Der Lindenbaum, he observes how hard and rigid the icy crust of the river is. The crust perhaps reminds him of the bark of the linden tree into which he carved words of love. Here, the crust of the river makes it appear to lie cold and motionless. Then a turn to the major as he describes that he carves into the ice the name, the hours, the dates that sum up his romantic experience with his now distant and left behind beloved. The turn to the major makes sense here because he is in a state of reminiscence. Remember what we've learned before about the major key and how often it transports us back in time into our memories? I, I like to think of this, my interpretation, Brian Sickich's interpretation. Yes. He's doing a, a ice sculpture and he's doing a bust of her. You know, <laughs> that's his, that's how he remembers her. A bust? It's like, okay. Yeah, he's doing he's doing ice carving with, uh, you know. We'll see. We'll see if you hold to that mm-hmm. as we continue. Mm-hmm. Sure. Here's the turn to the major. In deine Decke grab ich mit einem spitzen Stein den Namen meiner Liebsten und Stund und Tag hinein. It's almost as if this major helps us forget for a moment that we are surrounded by bitter cold and indulges us with some sudden warmth of remembered sunshine. Thinking of the good old days. Yeah, I think so. Did he ever actually have the good old days with her, though? That's a great question. Like, that was always just a fantasy. So the good old days for him is something that, like, never really was. Well, no. I mean, we do know from the first song that the mother spoke of... That the maiden spoke of love, the mother spoke of marriage. So there was some inkling mm, okay. that he was going to attain that state of love and relationship that he aspired to, that had been promised to him of sorts. And then for some unknown reason, I mean, we do know for, from Veta Fana that, um, remember how he kind of mocks her for being like a rich bride, the child, their child is a rich bride in the house, and so perhaps his... His level was not high enough for her. Mm, His mm -hmm. state was not elevated enough for her. But we don't really know. He also kind of mocks her for being a bit unfaithful and whether that's just that she was so kind of whimsical in her love that she wasn't fully devoted to him Mm. or whether she cheated on him. Like, we're not super sure. But we do know that he feels 
that he was done an injustice, I oh, think. Oh, he's very put out. I think we understand that, we're, we're meant to understand that he feels an injustice was done to him. Mm. So, could be, though, that maybe he over-romanticized it, you know? That maybe the good old days weren't as good as he thought, or maybe they just weren't what they seemed. Maybe they weren't what he hoped. Or at least mm-hmm. he was in a, a time period or a state of being where there there was that hope there. And now, and now it's just like... Right, and actually that's literally what I was just going to say. <laughs> oh. another, another point of agreement. Agree um, to agree. Agree to agree. So, yeah, I think there's also the possibility back then, even if it wasn't everything he had hoped for, there still was hope. Like, there was still the possibility of sunshine and warmth and mm-hmm, may and mm-hmm. flowers in his life but now it's like he's deep in the winter right and yeah. and the possibility for for that in his future it's just all closing down he's walking away from civilization where's he gonna find a lover you know out in the wilderness well he's not so he's created his lover out of ice <laughs> so you say his busticle look his- <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Uh, (laughs) That's hilarious. Look, I'm not sold on this whole busticle idea, but if you want to go with it, (laughs) be my guest. I think it's more like a tombstone, and we'll get into it as we continue. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Where were we in this freaking script? I don't even know. (laughs) Ah, here we are. Remember how I said that the offbeat accents... Would be back. Mm-hmm. Well, here they are. <laughs> just, like, just like Voldemort. They're back. Mm-hmm. He's back. <laughs> In the right hand of the piano, we hear these provocative offbeat accents. this section a feeling of the grotesque perhaps shaded with a bit of tragic comic character perhaps he thinks back and mocks himself how could he think such a love would last perhaps he is a bit disgusted with himself for his naivete at his burgeoning love i don't know but it's all off somehow when he says the day of the first meeting with his beloved, you can hear some triplets in the piano accompaniment, and they always feel a bit like a fluttering heart to me, the kind of fluttering you experience upon first meeting a person of romantic interest. Den Tag des ersten Grußes, den Tag, an dem ich Within this section, we are presented with more than just the reminiscence. Remember how I mentioned that in Vaso Flute, we experience a lamenting yugugli of sorts? (laughs) I'm sorry, I can't stop saying it. Never gonna get old. (laughs) I love Zoolander too much. Um, Yeah, so we experience a lamenting eulogy of sorts, right? Here, I think we are placing the tombstone to signify that it is truly over. He has inscribed the birth and death dates of his love story giving a sense of finality to that which is over. The past is truly in the past, and there will be no resurrection of love. It has been laid to rest with a tombstone engraved in the ice to commemorate the experience. Your version makes way more sense. Yeah. (laughs) Names. Than a bust. (laughs) Names, dates, 
hours though so yeah i think it's just another image of like he mm. he can remember like the exact hour right, right, like right. it was 234 in like the afternoon his recounting you know? of it is like so vivid <laughs> right right it's it, i think it was so meaningful to him that mm. he even remembers like the exact hour that they met but also why wasn't he carving that in the tree or was he doing all that same stuff in the tree well he said uh which are many words of love love mm. love <laughs> many love words you. of love so i mean there could also be dates there too mm. i'm not really sure i just know that the ice headstone tombstone i mean it's gonna melt that's what well, ice right. does but remember, he's talked about that the whole time. Remember how yeah. in Er Stadung he talked about her image was frozen in his heart. And that's why he mm-hmm. doesn't want his heart to unfreeze. Because if it does unfreeze, then she'll just float away. He's literally just creating his own problems now. He is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on, buddy. He come on, traveler. is, yeah. But if he didn't, then we wouldn't have this great drama to unfold before us. Very true. So, you know, around this tombstone, he draws a ring. But the ring is broken, just like the promise she made of love. And Schubert perfectly encapsulates these broken things thusly. And then, then one of the best things in all of Leader happens. He turns inward and addresses his own heart, saying, My heart, in this brook do you recognize your own image? The horror is real as he surmises that though this body of water appears stiff and unmoving, there is most likely a torrential swell unseen beneath its surface, and it's his very own likeness. Schubert creates absolute musical magic here. He introduces this melody in the bass. This melody seems benign enough at first, right? We are slowly becoming aware that there is in fact something beneath the surface. When? It suddenly bursts forth, just like the raging emotions of his heart. for Schubert to say this just once. He decides he needs a second chance to give the ice another crack and a second pass to let the volcano of emotion erupt. And this time there is absolutely no holding back. But I'm actually not going to play it for you now because I want to save that for the full performance. I don't want to give away like the best part of the song. Uh, Here once again to perform for us is Dr. Tyler Reese. Dear 
du so lustig rauschtest, du helle, wilde Fluss, wie still bist du geworden, gibst keinen Scheidegruß. Starre Rinde hast du dich überdeckt, liegst kalt und unbeweglich im Sande ausgestreckt. Oh, it's so good. It's a headbanger for sure, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, the full spectrum. Yeah. The highs, the lows. It's got pace. It's moody. Like it's like, yeah, that repetitive bit is pretty mm-hmm. crazy too. <laughs> yeah, my heart. Because, yeah, and when he says it again, it's like the horror. Mm-hmm. Because it even moves into a little bit more major of a tonality, mm-hmm. at fr- like at, at the repeat. And it's a little more like uh, what's the word? Not understated. It's a little softer too, and mm-hmm. but it's just like. 
that much more powerful. Right. And I think exactly that um, kind of paradox between this horrific realization and like the quietness with which it's realized it's so so powerful and sometimes you know they say like i don't know have you ever been in a room with a teacher or whatever and like the way they get the class's attention is by whispering i mean i kind of like eye roll when that happens but sometimes the power of whispering Mm. is way more um effective than the power of yelling but in this one we kind of have both yeah yeah (laughs) again the full gamut i just it's an absolute headbanger. I, I love this. Does not disappoint. It does not disappoint. I love playing it. I love singing it, even though I can't sing. I love listening to it. Although it's kind of funny because, you know, as I was listening to, to this um, recording that I did with Tyler, I there were some things I wish I had done differently, but they cannot be changed now. <laughs> they have been etched in ice forever. They have been etched in They've ice. They've been carved. Forever until the ice melts. Did Zara sing to this one? Czar loved like, like singing to this one. So he always sang. I feel like when you go. At the, uh, yeah, he was saying. Ops for our rising schwitz. He always sang their ops. Ops for our rising schwitz. I actually. You, should, you probably have a video of him doing I think it. I have a recording of Czar. Czar was our, our um, sweet Sheltie, Sheltie dog who passed away in February. Um, but yeah, I think I actually have a recording of him singing on this one because i actually covered this one in a a previous podcast episode that i've since Mm. deleted um from the socials but um that recording of him singing probably still exists somewhere Mm. you probably dig it up from the archives yes uh well did that slap any different either like now that we've you've had that like full-on discussion was there anything that just really caught you i feel like reading along with the music I highly recommend for the listener to like try to do that, to actually like read along with the music. If but then they'll see my mistakes. <laughs> true. <laughs> I mean, okay. I I'm okay. I'm okay with them. Yeah. I'm okay with them. Um, but yeah, it, it really did just add a little more, yeah, a little more context of like, of the actual traveler situation. Mm-hmm. And like you, even if you read the text by itself, even if you listen to the song by itself, like mm-hmm. it's all pointing you in the right direction mm-hmm. and you're feeling it and you're like, you're very immersed in it. Mm-hmm. But this is like ultimate. When you have the music in front yeah. of you. Yeah. I feel the same way, Peak. honestly. I I do really enjoy the visual element of the music. I am also a very f- like photographic, I have mm-hmm. a photographic memory. And sure. so the music, I, I feel a little bit more firmly rooted in it when I have the music in front of me. Um, but it is also sometimes really nice to just let that go and just immerse yourself in the experience, like the auditory experience. Sure. Um, but you've had a lot of immersion in the auditory experience from me practicing mass hours. Well, and yeah, the that's actually a really good point mm-hmm. is is um, from the music side of things, like I know the song inside and out. Um, but actually being able to like see it in music or like mm-hmm. even in this even in this edition edition score? of it score mm-hmm. yeah i mean it's it's so you're looking at the baron it's adding a lot more um kind of concreteness to it all yeah which is cool yeah 100 percent, 100 percent. so i think ye oh well you're ye are welcome uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow well i think that wraps it up for us today on this crazy episode of winterizer 
If you just can't get enough of this song cycle in your life, then you might want to try singing Wasserflut or Auf dem Flusser with me. You can find me on YouTube as Mandy Madrid Sikic. Click on the Winterreise playlist and start singing. Remember that Follow the Leader can be found in all the usual podcasty places. And please, if you like what you hear, leave a review. It's honestly the best way that you can support the podcast. I mean, besides sending me checks for massive amounts of money. <laughs> and remember that for a limited time, you'll be entered in our giveaway if you send a screenshot of your review to followtheleaderpodcast at gmail.com. Follow the Leader is a production of Cincinnati Song Initiative. You can learn more about their network of podcasts at cincinnatisonginitiative.org forward slash podcasts. You can also follow me on Instagram at leadernerd. That's at L-I-E-D-E-R-N-E-R-D. See you later, nerds! Bye! Oh, I can't say bye. You can. That's smartless. No, they don't, they've not copyrighted bye. <laughs> <laughs> like, they don't own the word bye. It's true. It's true. Thanks for being here, Brian. I'm giving you Air 5. I Watcha! receive your Air 5. Watcha! And a little dose of poison oak in there for you. No, thank you. Uh, goodbye. Stay far away from me. Mine hurts. If you love this podcast, then you'll love the Song Cycle podcast, also by Cincinnati Song Initiative. Song Cycle introduces the coolest and awesomest leaders of the song world today and dives into getting to know them and their unique stories, where they think song in the 21st century is headed, and lots of other great topics. If you're looking for your next source of inspiration as you continue on your own musical journey as a song lover, look no further than Song Cycle with me, your host, Sam Martin. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and join the conversation.